sorrow and dead in my sin. Lost without hope with no place to begin. Amen. Friends, as we continue to worship and as we seek to dig into Scripture, we do celebrate Palm Sunday this day. And it's a, it's a little bit unusual. We're, we're kind of quarantined. We're gathered in our homes. And we aren't experiencing the normal Palm Sunday that we typically do with, you know, waving the palms and celebrating Christ's entry into Jerusalem, Christ's entry into our midst, into our mess. So, friends, today I, I simply want to walk through the story. But I, I'd like to just let you know that Whenever this comes to an end and whenever we're able to gather together again, the first time we gather together, we're going to be celebrating Palm Sunday. We'll walk through this story, but we'll walk through it in the fullness of celebration. And we'll follow that Sunday with an Easter celebration. But today, I want to walk through the story and maybe walk through it a little bit differently than maybe we have in the past so friends, I, I invite you, if you have your Bibles or your phone or whatever it is, um, if you could turn to the Gospel of Luke. We'll be in chapter 19 in Luke's Gospel, and we're going to simply walk through this story. But hear these words of Luke. After he had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he had come near Bethphage and Bethany, and the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why are you untying it, just say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent departed and found it as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They said, the Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. As he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. As he came near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, If you, even you, had only recognized on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Indeed, the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up ramparts around you and surround you and hem you in on every side. They will crush you to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave within you one stone upon another, because you did not recognize the time of your visitation from God. Friends, will you pray with me? Holy God, we praise you for the gift of your scriptures and the ways that you speak to us through them. I praise you, God, for the great story that you have written in and through your son, Jesus Christ. And I pray that you would write that story on our hearts, that you would speak to us anew here today, that we would be transformed. All of this we pray in the name of Jesus the Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, and to the glory of God the Father. Amen and amen. So I don't know about you, in the midst of this quarantine, 
I've, I've been watching some movies, I've been watching some TV shows that I probably ordinarily wouldn't have watched. Uh, stuff that, I don't know, that just kind of popped up on Netflix or whatever that I ordinarily wouldn't have watched. Now, I, I won't get into the Tiger King. That's its own thing. Um, if, if you don't know what I'm talking about, just count yourself blessed. Uh, but I, I've rewatched some of what I would consider kind of modern classics of the last 10 to 15 years um, over this, this time. Um, but this may be a little bit too broad of a generalization, but I've noticed in watching some of these movies and TV shows that they seem to be more and more kind of tragic and fatalistic in nature. You know, of course, there are always exceptions, uh, but by and large, this seems to be a trend. You know, I rewatched a movie called There Will Be Blood, a Daniel Day-Lewis movie. Uh, It's just an amazing movie. No Country for Old Men, uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Just these incredible films, uh, but all of which follow kind of this tragic pattern. Oh oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Where art thou being just kind of a, a, a new take, a new retelling of Homer's Odyssey, which is just kind of the quintessential Greek tragedy. But in these, there, there just isn't always a happy ending. The good guys don't always win, and, and often enough they, they even die in true kind of the true fashion of ancient Greek tragedy. And more often than not, they, they seem to end with just this unsatisfying kind of discord. Whereas I think about movies and TV shows just a few decades ago, or you know, even from my childhood, they, they just all seem to have these happy endings. You know, good triumphing over evil. The world being set right and everything making sense again at the end. Now, I get why this is the case. I get why movies seem to have changed in the last, you know, couple decades at least. You know, our entertainment tends to be a reflection of, of where the culture is at the time. And I guess in turn, it also serves to inform the culture itself. And our culture is one that just doesn't have time for any of the unrealistic guff. Right? There's a lot of mistrust in our culture. And, and there are good reasons for a lot of that mistrust, I, I must add. But there's no tolerance for sugarcoating. Certainly for not sugarcoating events that have happened in the past, historical events. We simply want things to be real. And we don't want to be told any lies. There's just too much at stake. It's because the reality of life is that it isn't always, or even usually, all sunshine and rainbows and happy endings. So why make it seem otherwise? So our movies and our TV shows, they, they tend to reflect this. You know, call it realism, call it cynicism, call it just stoic resignation to the way things are. But when I think about some of these TV shows and movies, I have to admit, I find myself wanting more. You know, I find myself wanting some sort of resolution. I find myself wanting to even rewrite the script. I started thinking about all of this while reflecting on today's scripture passage. This this story of Jesus 
entry into Jerusalem on, on what we call Palm Sunday. But I was reflecting on this passage, and I just kept thinking, you know, I don't like the way it ends either. Being Palm Sunday, you know, it really almost doesn't feel like it. But Palm Sunday we know to be the beginning of what we call Holy Week. The week we set aside to journey with Christ to the cross of crucifixion. It all started out with Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. But I find myself hoping, just about every, every year during Holy Week, that the ending might change. You know, I, I have to admit that I sometimes wish I could rewrite the script, so to speak. But thinking about this, you know, we're told that movies with a good storyline, you know, have a few basic necessary elements. You know, there's always a compelling protagonist. There's usually some sort of believable supporting cast. There's, there's always, you know, a series of vivid scenes and, and, and most definitely plenty of dramatic tension. With regard to these things, the Gospel of Luke does not disappoint. So you think about the first necessary element to a good story is, is to have a, a, a compelling protagonist. And at the heart of this story is the connection between Jesus riding into Jerusalem and the prophet Zechariah's prophecy that a future king would come into Jerusalem in humility, riding on a colt. I'd like to read a passage from the prophet Zechariah in chapter 9. He says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter Jerusalem. Lo, your king comes to you, humble and riding on a donkey, on, an, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall command peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare, and I will restore to you double, for I have bent Judah as my bow. I have made Ephraim its arrow. I will arouse your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece, and wield you like a warrior's sword. You see this connection between the, the prophet Zechariah and the story we find in Luke of Jesus entering into Jerusalem. Jesus is a Messiah without the ceremony or pomp. He's a king laying claim to his city. Luke says that, that Jesus is hailed as a king in place of the traditional messianic title, the coming one that we hear about in other places of scripture. We also find in Jesus this incredible prophetic knowledge, this foreknowledge. Luke says that Jesus sends out two of his disciples to find a cult for him to ride into Jerusalem on. And Jesus knows ahead of time where the cult will be and what the response of the owner will be at, at, and instructs them to tell the owner simply the Lord needs it. Jesus is, is a true prophet whose prophecies are fulfilled and who has access to kind of the secret knowledge of, of human hearts. You know, I think it's, it's these things and, and others that, that make Jesus kind of the, the perfect protagonist. But I just want to change the plot of the story. 
But there's also, you know, always in, in any good story or movie or storyline, uh, a believable supporting cast. And Luke says that the, the crowd that gathers consists of the multitude of his disciples, the multitude of his followers. And these disciples, they, they throw their cloaks on the colt as a makeshift saddle, and they set Jesus upon it as a sign and of, of honor due their king. The disciples also gave Jesus the, the you know, red carpet treatment by spreading their cloaks on the ground, something that would be done only for a king. And they furthermore cry out, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. You know, these disciples, they, they just get it. They seem to get it. They seem to get what Jesus is intending to convey by this symbolic parade in Jerusalem. I think the third necessary element in any good story is the need for plenty of dramatic tension. You know, about a week ago during this time of, you know, social distancing, I took some time to clean some things out of my office desk. And I, I opened up one of my desk drawers and thought, you know, it's, it's March. It's, it's probably about time that I clean these Christmas cards out of my desk. But as I was, you know, finally clearing out all of these Christmas cards, I noticed you know, I, I started reading through them. And I noticed some of the things that they said. You know, glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth. Goodwill to all. And I thought back to those cards when I was reading today's scripture passage. And you'll notice that there are some similarities. The disciples shout, you know, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. As Jesus just rides by on this colt. And this praise, it points directly back to, to chapter 2 in Luke's gospel, and this an angelic announcement where, where the angels prophesy peace on earth as the effect of the Messiah's birth. But here's where the tension comes in. In the midst of all of the exaltation, in the midst of all the jubilation and the praise, Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. You see, Jerusalem has rejected the Messiah's peace. And Jesus weeps over the coming destruction of the city. Luke reminds us that, that while peace is present in heaven, it is not yet present in Jerusalem. Jerusalem has rejected the peace that Jesus brought, and now it will only be fully realized in the time to come. The kingdom is not yet appearing fully because of the city's rejection, but the king is at hand. But this tension continues as the, the Pharisees, they oppose Jesus by asking him to order his disciples to stop with their praise. You know, this was praise that was reserved only for a, a king. And it was, it was just blasphemous for them to be attributing these, these titles to, to someone like Jesus. But Jesus simply yet profoundly replies, if they keep quiet, then the stones will cry out. And we wonder, you know, a lot of scholars wonder, is, is, you know, is this a reference to the prophet Habakkuk? Where, where the crying stones refer to the judgment of Israel? Or does Jesus mean that the stones would cry out against the disciples who sin by keeping silent? Or does he mean that the stones would cry out against the people who will reject and silence him? 
Or does he mean that if the disciples keep silent, the stones will be forced to proclaim the mighty acts of God instead of them? Or does he mean that, that, that it is no more possible for disciples to keep silent than it is for stones to speak? You know, Scripture isn't exactly clear on all of this. But what we're left with is plenty of dramatic tension. We're left wondering, we're left pondering these things. But I think about this, and I, I just really don't like the way the, the tension is resolved in this story. I don't like the way the tension is resolved as, as Jesus is led to the cross of Good Friday. So sometimes I think, you know, I just wish the story could be rewritten. So my rewrite to this story would, would keep the protagonist as he is. You know, the Messiah riding into Jerusalem on a colt without any ceremony or pomp. It would keep the, you know, immediate supporting cast of this scene, you know, disciples devoted to Jesus' mission. But what I would want to do is rewrite, rewrite the ending. But when I think about this, of course, you know, it should dawn on us, it dawns on me that after thinking about it, that is exactly what God does in the resurrection. Jesus' entry into Jerusalem points to the cross. It points to Good Friday. But the unavoidable tension of this scene is ultimately resolved by Christ rising from the dead on Sunday. So it's really not our job to rewrite the ending. You know, God's already done that in and through Jesus. But at the same time, it is our job, with the help of God, to join with him in his rewriting of the ending. You know, on a daily basis, you know, from now throughout Holy Week, Easter Sunday, and beyond, it is our job to rewrite the ending. It is our job as the church. It is our job as Christ followers in, in a world that is filled with so much fear and anxiety. A, a world and a, and a time, a season that is fear, filled with so much loss. A world that's filled with so much greed and violence. It is our job as Christ followers to rewrite the ending. To witness to the peace. To witness to the redemption and the restoration that our King brings. Now, I know that this can be difficult. You know, the Christmas card slogans, you know, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill to all. Those can quickly be forgotten. And the fleeting way that we treat those, those earth-shattering declarations, it cheapens them to the point that they lose all their meaning for us. But when we hear these same declarations in Luke's gospel, as Jesus is making his way into Jerusalem, we are reminded that, that these Palm Sunday declarations were bought with a Good Friday price. Jesus is worthy of our praise. He is the Messiah. Jesus is the King of Kings. But he's a beaten, tortured, and executed king. The good news, though, is that some Sunday is coming. The Easter sun is dawning. 
And it's in the hope and the knowledge of the resurrection that we are to declare Christ's praise and to be bearers of the peace, to be bearers of the redemption and the restoration that he came proclaiming. You know, I think about all of this, and it, it just seems to me that culturally, when we look at the culture as a whole, it seems that we have a shortage of hope. And I don't think it's because we've progressed morally beyond what some consider to be, you know, old religious superstitions. No, I think it's because we haven't taken Jesus seriously enough. And we fail to see how Jesus has radically changed all of reality. You know, we think back prior to Jesus entering the scene, tragedy was all there was. In the ancient world, the Greeks had their tragedy. There was never, an, an, just in all of ancient history, a protagonist like Jesus. Jesus changed everything. And the reality is we cannot go back to the tragedy. The ancient tragic realities. You think about the story of Jesus. It's, it's not a sugar-coated story. It is gritty. It is raw. It is real. But it also doesn't allow us to simply resign ourselves to these tragic realities that we encounter in our lives and in the world around us. It's because Jesus has rewritten the ending entirely. So maybe what we're experiencing of this pandemic can teach us some things. Maybe it can teach us not to resign ourselves to the ugly, tragic realities of the world. And maybe it can teach us to turn our eyes, to turn our gaze to Christ, and to hope again. Because the reality is that Christ is Lord, seated on his throne... And we have the promise, the promise of the restoration and redemption of all things. We have the promise of the peace of the kingdom. This is the end of the story. This is the reality wrought by Jesus, and it has forever changed the world. Friends, we know the end of the story. My prayer is that we would be a people who never lose sight of, Never forget how this great story of God's love ends. May we as followers of Jesus journey through the Good Friday darkness with Palm Sunday praises on our lips, witnessing to the light of Easter resurrection. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Holy God, we praise you for the promises wrought in and through Jesus. We praise you, God, for a rewriting to the end of the story. And God, tragedy doesn't rule our lives. Suffering, death does not rule our lives. Sin does not rule our lives. But God, through your Son, Jesus Christ, you have rewritten the story. And now we have the hope, the hope of peace, the hope of restoration, the hope of redemption. So God, breathe that truth into us and by your Holy Spirit, empower and enable us to live it. God, all of this we pray in your Son's name, Jesus Christ.
through the power of the Holy Spirit, and to the glory of God the Father. Amen and amen. Sorrow and dead in my sin, lost without hope with no place to begin. Your love made a way to let mercy come in when death was arrested and my life began. Ash was redeemed, only beauty remains. My orphan heart was given a name. Morning grew quiet, my feet rose to dance when death was arrested and my life began. Oh, your grace, so free, washes over me. You have made me new, now life begins with you. It's your endless pouring down on us you have made us new now life begins with you released from my chains I'm a prisoner no more my shame was a ransom he faithfully bore he canceled my death and he called me his friend was arrested and my life began oh your grace so free washes over me you have made me new now life begins with you it's your endless love pouring down on us you have made us new, now life begins with you. Our Savior displayed on a criminal's cross. Darkness rejoiced as though heaven had lost. But when Jesus arose with our freedom in that's when death was arrested, my life began. Oh, your grace so free washes over me. You have made me new, now life begins with you. It's your endless love pouring down on song of all the redeemed oh we're free free forever amen when death was arrested my life began oh we're free free forever we're free come join the song of all the redeemed yes we're free free forever amen when death was arrested my life began when death was arrested 
said, my life began when death was 